On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, you'll hear my interview with Pacers guard Dwayne Washington Jr. right before the 500 Festival Parade. Then I'll introduce you to someone who has been around the Fieldhouse for a while. That's Jared Simpson, now a Fever assistant coach who came up through the video room. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. I hope you've been able to enjoy some of this great weather that we've had this past week. I know I was able to get out to the golf course once and shoot my second best round ever, so I'm still riding the high and very happy about that one. It's also good to have the NBA Finals here and underway, Boston at Golden State, two teams I did not expect to be there. No, I've, I was one of those that expected a rematch of last year with Phoenix and Milwaukee. But again, we see the impact that health and injuries have. And I still believe Milwaukee would have been there if not for Chris Middleton getting injured. And here with the finals and really throughout the entire playoffs, another reason to be impressed with Pacers guard Tyrese Halliburton is his engagement, how locked in he is the entire way he's been live tweeting throughout the playoffs, and it's basketball-type stuff, like how the Celtics started out in drop coverage against the Warriors in Game 1, and we saw Steph take advantage and knock through a half-dozen three-pointers, have 21 points in that first quarter, and really set the Warriors up for a great start in Game 1. Somehow baffling, they weren't able to hang on, though. And this past week, Tyrese also went on a couple national radio shows. He joined J.J. Redick for a strictly basketball conversation after Game 1. That was a really good breakdown. So there's no doubt that Tyrese is a hooper and looks forward to playing in his first playoff game after not making the playoffs with Sacramento a couple years ago, his rookie season, nor the Pacers this past season. It's also been impressive to me how he and about 10 other guys have mostly been in town since the season has ended, and that's not typical. A couple, mostly rookies, yeah, that's typical. Halliburton is there, McConnell is there, Lance is there, and this week I provided an update on Lance. Check it out at fieldhousefiles.com. It is unlocked, so subscribers free and paid can read it. I reported that he had off-season procedure on his right knee to clean it up, remove some loose particles. It was something that he dealt with throughout the season, didn't tell anyone, wanted to keep it to himself, tough it out, and get through the year. No excuses made by him. But after the season, the Pacers and, and Lance decided it was best for him to have that cleaned up, and so he did. He's doing well, I'm told, already back out on the court shooting, and he's hopeful to work something out with the Pacers and re-sign here because, of course, he'll be a free agent on July 1. One year ago, Dwayne Washington Jr., he was going through the pre-draft process. He did not work out for the Pacers, but shortly after going undrafted, he agreed to a two-way contract with Indiana, and that was a perfect example of a player picking his situation wisely. He had a role. He parlayed that into a standard NBA deal. His next season is not guaranteed. It becomes so the second week in July, but after a really good rookie performance and showing the shooting that he can provide, the energy and spirit, that's something that some of his teammates have highlighted, especially in the offseason to me. That's one thing they really do appreciate even beyond his contributions on the court. It's how he 
raises everybody's energy level and all of that becomes contagious that's why you need guys like him like tj mcconnell like lance in addition to what they do on the court and this past weekend he gave the pacers another reason to raise up a little bit as he rode in the 500 festival parade it's held the saturday right before the indianapolis 500 i went to that race and it was Really fun to be back and see everybody there. The place was filled, about 325,000 fans there. It's unbelievable. I mean, my audience overseas, like my Aussies, just imagine 325,000 fans in the same event on the same day. Now, traffic, getting out, that was awful. That was a different story. I went .1 miles in 56 minutes, but the race... That experience, very, very cool, especially the fighter jets that came by not once but twice and then flew off in separate directions. Oh, man, I could talk on and on about that experience. If you have not gone to the race and live in Indy or nearby, I definitely recommend it. It's one of a kind. You got to do it. But anyway, Washington Jr. rode in the 500 Festival Parade. A couple Fever players were there, Pacemates, Boomer, Freddie Fever and all, and originally Halliburton was scheduled but before Washington Jr. found his car and then represented the team as he rode around downtown Indianapolis I talked with him about this invitation as an experience with the 500 festival parade so many players staying around Indy at this time and more take a listen so what are you expecting tonight what are you, being part of this and, and representing the squad yeah man I heard uh, the parade is, is is one of a kind and mm-hmm. you know one of one I heard that uh, hasn't been going on the past couple of years due to the pandemic and uh, everyone's super excited to get out here this year and show the love for the city and show the love for the Indy 500. So I'm super excited to see what it's about, and this will be first of many for me. Tell me about your experience, because not just you, but all your boys have been excited, been out at the track. You were <laughs> waving the green flag, it yeah. looked like, Lloyd, everyone. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this experience being in Indiana and in Indianapolis, it's it's, it's one of a kind, like I keep saying. And, um, yep. you know, there's, there's stuff you can do here that you can't do in other places and vice versa. So uh, we're just trying to take advantage of, of where we're located and, uh, you know, getting love from the city and giving love back to the city as well. And uh, just putting a name for ourselves, the Pacers, and um, in the city of Indianapolis, it's a, it's a great city and uh, it's going up. What, if anything, did you know about the race before joining the team? Have you ever watched it? Have you ever been to the track, anything like that? Yeah, no, this is actually my first time going to the track. I went last week. Yep. Um, hopped in a pace car, went around a couple laps, and uh, it was pretty cool, man. It was awesome. Honestly, the only thing racing that I had been, uh, you know, in touch with was the movie Cars, and you know, I, I took some okay. some key points from there and brought it into to, to the uh, the day last week. But uh, super excited for for this week to learn more. I asked a bunch of questions, got to meet some great guys, met AJ Foyt, um, legend, and, and you know a whole bunch of other guys, and they just taught me a lot of stuff about racing. And super excited to learn more, man. It's a huge thing here in Indy. So, why have you been all in? You're like Tyrese, like Isaiah. It seems like so many of you guys have been all in and staying here this summer. What's what's led to that motivation or camaraderie or whatever? Yeah, we just uh, you know. We, we believe that iron sharpens iron and um, you know to be where we want to be and to do what we want to do and, and the, the things that we've been talking about it, it's going to take a lot and take a lot of work and um, we're just holding each other accountable right now and um, you know we believe that the more we work the more we build together the more we continue to grow as teammates it's going to um, help us perform uh, later in the year and you know that time starts now so we've been taking advantage of as much as we can being with the coaches being with each other um, you know, we still got some time this summer to get better, and we're going to utilize that. But uh, we're super, super excited, and 
uh, the young guys are taking over, man. So we're just trying to trying to keep going and, yeah. and mature as quickly as possible so we can help the team win. Has anybody stood out, jumped out, made a big leap in, in particular? Yeah, man. Like I said, we just um, we're all holding each other accountable. I think you know we've all taken huge jumps and huge steps just in this little amount of time in this past month of May. Um, you know, being here. And uh, you can see guys' attitudes are changing. Guys' mentals are uh, becoming more mature, more serious. Um, you know, one quick year of, of, of not having a great year, and we're already wanting to flip things around. So uh, we're wasting no time, and we're going to keep working hard and working our butts off. Last thing, just what are you up to the rest of the summer? Are you mostly here, or are you to get some vacation? Or oh, yeah, like for that? sure. No, I definitely took some vacay time earlier in the year, but when we got the season off, uh, kicked my feet up. Um, got back to it, and um, uh, probably after summer league will be uh, will be another break for me uh, before heading into camp. So um, just making sure that we keep getting to work and keep getting better, so we'll be ready for year two. Next up, you'll hear from Jared Simpson. He's got me beat in terms of Pacers sports and entertainment teams that he's worked for, Pacers, Fever, as well as Mad Ants, as he's been around for over 10 years combined and now in year two as a Fever assistant coach after being hired by Tamika Ketchings before this last season. He played Division II basketball, then got an opportunity to intern with the team through the video room, and he made the most of it. He handled the job well, built up relationships, players respected him and liked working with him. And so once he was done with college, he was invited back to join the team as an assistant video coordinator. And so I wanted to introduce him to you. But first, I do want to note how special it was for the Fever to celebrate the 10th anniversary of their championship, their only championship, a few weeks ago. Almost the entire team was there, which was special. And Jessica Davenport did not make it. And Katie Douglas, get this. She was coaching her daughter's game, so unfortunately she couldn't make it to the celebration during the game. However, she was with the team the night before for dinner and and celebrations and catching up. So that was really special for her and the group. If you didn't know, that was my final season of 10 working for the team, and I finished it out as the equipment manager after the previous one left earlier in the season so I was on the road I was there at every game and there to celebrate the championship with them which was unique it was spectacular it was a great punctuation mark on my fantastic teenage years with the team and I did it through college and I just hope to see this team relevant once again it starts with winning obviously I mean that's the case for any team same goes kind of for the Pacers right now but Having players that fans know, connect with, that they know their story, that's when things really run smoothly and you can connect from all sides. But having a true home court would also be helpful, by the way, because after this season, they will get it back after renovations are complete at the Fieldhouse. But the rest of this season, they'll play at Farmers Coliseum and then four games at Hinkle Fieldhouse because a conflict to their second conflict. Like, I just feel bad for the team. But here's my conversation with Jared. And by the way, this was after he was away from the team for almost a week due to the organizations, not the leagues, but the organization's health and safety protocols. He did not test positive for COVID, but was a close contact. So he stayed away for a couple of games. And this was recorded before the coaching change. Marianne Stanley was fired and Carlos Knox promoted. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, as promised, I now welcome on Jared Simpson, assistant coach for the Indiana Fever. If you know the name, he's been around Pacer Sports Entertainment for more than a decade in a number of roles, which we'll get into here on this show. Jared, thanks for joining me here this afternoon as we record this episode. Maybe a good starting point for us. Let's go all the way back to, to a point where I don't know you, and that's your playing days. What was Jared the Hooper like growing up? <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Uh, Jared the Hooper. Wow, I haven't heard that one in a while. <laughs> um, played uh, Division two at Wheeling Jesuit University. Um, graduated in 08. And um, I was there with Coach Jay DeFruccio, who was an assistant coach really? under Jim O'Brien. Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, during his tenure as the Pacers, he actually left my junior year, and I had my extra interview after my junior year, and he was like, hey, I'm actually leaving to go to the Indiana Pacers. And I was like, whoa, from middle of nowhere, beautiful Wheeling, West Virginia, all the way to the (laughs) Indiana Pacers, uh, the big city life. It was kind of surprising, but um, he got on there, and he actually brought me out as an intern um, after I graduated, um, and I was a video intern under Vance Catlin and the Jim O'Brien era with the Pacers and worked there for two years, did that, actually went back to school and got my mm-hmm. master's degree back at Wheeling Jesuit where I kind of first started coaching, um, being a GA, um, fell in love with it, loved it. Um, and then Frank Vogel got the head job. And uh, Frank was an assistant under Jim O'Brien when I was there as an intern. So we, I kept my relationship with him. And uh, he got his opportunity to, to lead the Pacers. And I followed out and was an assistant video coordinator there and, did that for four years uh after those four years i actually went to the fort wayne mad ants and uh, was an assistant coach under steve Ganzi. did that for three years left for a year and went to northern arizona and did that for a year and then obviously 2020 came about and 2020 was was a shock for everybody kind of threw everyone for a loop but you know in this game it's who you know and building relationships and i got really close with tamika catchings and Tamika um, offered me an opportunity to come out with Indiana Fever, and now I'm in my second year. But uh, I can't even remember the hooping stories. <laughs> I was just going to say, you just gave me your job timeline. I asked you about Jared the Hooper. Are we going back to the basket? Do we have a jumper? What are oh, we talking about? The Hooper, yeah. I, well, definitely on the block. You see me with a left shoulder fade if I had to do my own scout report. Oh, okay. Take away, take away my left shoulder. Um Banger inside could stretch you out to the three point line, especially when I was in uh, when I was in high school. Not so much in college, but you know, had a little bit more of a athletic bounce to me at that time. Um, but no, I, I love playing. Been playing since I was younger, and since I was probably like five years old, um, and you know, just kind of fell in love with it. There, my dad put a basketball in my hand. And I kind of fell in love with it, but uh, uh, didn't really didn't really have too many big accolades in college, but uh, definitely loved the game and you know, kind of molded itself into a coaching career. And for those that don't know, you got some height on you. What, like six, seven would be my, no, six, five. About, I'll, I'll take six, seven, but no, I'll, I'll do six, six, five for okay. sure. Six, six with shoes on. So yeah, I got a little bit of height to me. <laughs> there you go. So just trying to give <laughs> listeners a little bit of a visual, but yeah, you've been a staple around Pacer sports entertainment for a couple decades. I met you, you know, back when I, you were an intern when I was a ball boy and we all were overlapping there with Frank and, and Jim O'Brien. And I, I just looked up by the way, Jay's, you know, background, I guess I didn't realize, you know, he was at wheeling for so long and that was the primary thing he had done. I didn't realize that connection with J O B, and that's why yeah, he was ultimately yeah, brought he in. Was, 
Yep, he was the assistant under Jim O'Brien. Um, and Jay, I mean, Jim went on to go bigger and better things. And Jay DeFrucio stayed there for about 24, 25-ish years, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of how, you know, it's a small world in the basketball world. So, and, and maybe that's the perfect next point. While the basketball world, talk about different leagues, different levels, it's big, but at the same time, it's all very small. You're you're closely connected, whether it's anyone from a graduate assistant to a strength coach to assistant to public relations, and in turn, you might overlap. And that's why I'm sure as you were making your different stops along your path here, you got to keep that in mind because you might run into someone or someone else can help extend an arm, or maybe you can extend an arm down and help bring someone up to your level along the way, right? Exactly, exactly. You always want to do right by anybody, not just for your job, but just in general. But in the basketball world and business world alike, um, it's who you know and who you can help. And you're always trying to leave on good terms, whether you move on to go to a different team or you move on to go to a different situation. You always want to leave it on good terms because you never know who, you know, may turn around and really think, you know, this guy or this girl did such a great job. Let me, you know, return the favor and help them out in their next path in their career. So, it's uh, it's, it's like you said, it's big, but it's small. Right. Everybody's just a phone call away in the basketball world. So you got to kind of, you know, leave things on good terms and, you know, keep building that network. So you never know what may happen down the line. I can't tell you how many times I've heard about, you know, an assistant coach landing somewhere. And they're like, yeah, I didn't really have a relationship with the head coach. The head coach reached out to one of their close friends who I had worked for or whatever and had called on my behalf or recommended me and that seems like the most typical pathway whether it's college or the professionals right for sure it, it like you said it's just like it's, it's literally one call away and you you never know how it's gonna happen like i got this opportunity building a relationship with catch because i actually when i was an intern used to be somewhat of a practice player for their team yep. and that's kind of how i started to develop that relationship with catch and you know just saying hi saying hello and keeping tracks of her her career throughout the, the time frame, and then it turned into an opportunity. So you never know what's going to happen. You never know when, you never know why, you never know how. So, you know, always good to just be a good person, do a good job, and you never know where it'll lead to. To get into basketball is not an easy position, so that's why it was great to have some kind of in like you had. But then you got to earn it and prove your value. And you, a lot of people, when they try to get into coaching, do so in the video room. Frankie, Eric Spolstra down in Miami, obviously, has shown now to be one of the best coaches in the entire NBA. What is it about that path in the video room where you're, you're constantly not only breaking down film, you're connecting with players, maybe you're working one-to-one, showing them film, that type of thing. What is it about the video room where it really allowed you and others, I think, to maybe take off and grow? Well, it helps you learn the game. Um, you're doing so much video breakdown for the coaching staff, and you kind of get your, your undergrad in basketball, you know, for lack of a better expression, um, when you're in the video room, you're, you're learning plays, you're learning what coaches like to run. And at the same time, you're kind of building your own playbook as to what you like. And, you, you know, mm. the best coaches are the best thieves. Um, <laughs> yes. A lot yeah. of people say 100%. that. And, you know, you're, you're, you're learning, you're learning what to do, what not to do. You're learning your own coaching style. You know, you may take a little bit from Frank. You may take a little bit from uh, coach O'Brien. You may take a little bit from Nate McMillan and just kind of create your own, you know, persona and your own, you know, way you want to do things when you get that opportunity. So it's kind of just helps you learn without the stress or without the uh, accountability of coaching yet. 
but it's just kind of getting your feet wet and you can learn what you want to do and how you want to do it. And I, I think, you know, I try to take advantage of that opportunity as much as possible, being a video guy for six years with the Pacers, two as an intern, four as an mm-hmm. assistant video coordinator. I really try to take the time to actually learn the game. Um, coming from a Division two college to the NBA game, things are different. So you have to take that time to really understand the game, learn the ins and outs, and also learn personnel. Um, personnel in the NBA, so you, you you know which guy likes to drive left and shot fake versus who doesn't, and you kind of build that build that throughout that that time frame, and that allows you to also then work with some players. You know, coaches have a very very busy schedule, so you might you know lead a couple workouts. I led a couple draft draft workouts um, when I was a when I was with the Pacers when we were in the Eastern awesome. Conference Finals because they were busy with trying to get us into the championship and nobody was around to do the do the draft workout so you know it's kind of being in the right place and and you know everything happens with proximity in this game and you know just being there and learning things it's it's i i would recommend anybody trying to get their foot in the door to try to get in through the video room because you just learn the amount you learn is just you know you you, you can't you can't trade it you can't you can't beat it yeah because you're just constantly watching film and among them you're constantly logging plays and so you're learning the playbook on a probably the deepest level outside of the head coach on that team. And then that includes opposing teams. You're setting up the opposing scout and learning what works for them. And, and that's what you're getting at. I think in terms of, Ooh, I might steal that added to my playbook. If I ever get that opportunity down the road. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like, like I said, the best coaches make the best thieves. I'm sure if you could, you could put anybody else on this podcast as a head coach or an assistant coach, they would say the same thing, but it's an invaluable experience to be in a video room and have that chance to learn from the greatest minds in basketball. So then after your time with the Pacers in terms of being an assistant video coordinator, you made the decision, all right, let me get more hands-on. It was my understanding. Let me get out in the field. Let me get that one-to-one with players much more than you can do in a video room. So you move up to the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, get on Gans's staff up there where you're one of several assistant coaches on the bench. What was that experience like for you? Well, it was um, one you had to kind of think about. You might also hear the term, you never want to get off the bus. And uh, the Indiana Pacers had just purchased the Mad Ants outright, and they were the direct affiliate with the NBA with the NBA team, the Pacers. And I just thought, you know, with that being the case, that it would be a good move to jump out there and, and actually, you know, put what I learned to the test. And that experience was was great. I mean, now, you know, you go from sitting back in the locker room saying what coaches should have done and should not have done, and now you got the actual first-hand <laughs> yeah. experience of actually putting your impression on the game and what you think and how it goes. And, um, you know, you, you really res- – when you sit in that seat, you really respect – all of those that you learn from and where they came from, where their mind is, because it's, it's definitely different. Um, you have to make these decisions in real time. You have, you don't, you don't have the rewind button anymore to say what you should have done. <laughs> so you have to make these decisions in real time and what to do. And, you know, it's, you can't really explain it until you do it. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of say what you would do and what you wouldn't do, but until you actually sit there and you make those real time decisions, it's, it's totally different. So the the amount of preparation it takes to be good, the amount of, you know, communication and organization it takes to have a good team like we did, especially my first two years with the Mad Ants, was is it, something that, that you really, really value. 
on the coaching staff. It was an amazing experience, and it, I continue to fall in love with it and still coaching to this day. So, Yeah, as you were getting at, you kind of have that pressure point. You truly are in it and having to make those real-time decisions without the, the benefit of watching some replays in-game necessarily and, and things like that, like even during the – NBA playoffs right now we'll we'll see even those that used to work in video rooms or things like that say hey why isn't this coach doing this or that and it's like well we don't know entirely what they're thinking or what went on at shoot around today or what they discussed uh-huh. which has led uh-huh. to all of those type of decisions and that type of thing so that's where I think that's extremely beneficial and then also I think probably players see you in a different light there's a whole new level of respect a whole new level of what they're demanding from you that also forces you, if anything, to elevate your game on a daily basis. Yeah, 100%. You have to, you know, being a player and being close in age when I came right out of school mm-hmm. and to, you know, jumping into that coaching staff, coaching role um, is an adjustment in itself as well. And um, you really have to do a good job creating a line, you know, building a relationship, but also having a line of being respected still as a coach or as an authority figure. And um, it's hard to say. It's hard to really give a good answer until you do it. Like, you you, you don't know until you know. If you, if you know, you know whatever the kids are saying now. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, there you go. You know it when you see it. Yeah, you know when you see it, for sure. One of the yeah. special things, though, Jared, I think about you is, though, having coached at different levels, a GA, a video coordinator, Matt Ants, Fever, all those type of things. Is you, coaching probably is about the same at every level in ten, terms of what you're trying to get accomplished, communication style, although I think maybe how you handle players is a little bit different. But take me in now your last couple years with the Fever and that experience and working under Marianne Stanley. Marianne is great. I've learned so much from Coach Stanley um, in this short time. I've been with this with this team and organization. She's you know, one of the pioneers in the women's game. And she's a great teacher, um, really explains the game well so the players can understand what she wants. Um, and also working with Coach Dunn, um, another Hall of Famer, Marianne's a Hall of Famer, learning from these minds has been unbelievable, um, just how much they know, how much they, they prepare, how much they care, how much they, you know, put in and invested, you know, 40-plus years of their lives into the game. You learn so much from from working with with people like that, and they've been great to me. Um, I would say it was different from jumping from the men's side to the women's side, but the women's game is a beautiful game. Um, I'm learning things about how defensive schemes and um, offensive schemes and how to attack. It's a way more tactical game Hmm. um, than women's game. Uh, You have to really be sharp with how you want to score. You got to really be sharp. All five players are on the string defensively. And, you know, in the men's game, it's, it's that, too. I'm not knocking that at all. But you can always just throw the ball over the rim and have somebody go get it to score two points. And it's not really the same case um, in the in the in the women's game. It's, it's way more fundamental way. You know, you're, you're learning the fundamentals over again when you come to the women's side, for sure. And it's been a blessing. I've, I've learned so much and I really do enjoy this time here and especially learning from those two, Marianne. And Coach Coach Dunn as well. It's, it's been great. Yeah, old Lynn, is, old Lynn is great. From yeah. how she talks to what she says to all her experiences that shapes whatever she's telling you, it's like, all right, there's a lot behind this that 
I have no clue about that I always took into consideration. Right. She, she started through at least once. No, she, she started through. She thought sure. about this 30 years ago when they weren't, you know, when they were busing for six hours probably from one game to another, whatever, those types right. of things. There's nothing that can beat experiences, but she uh, makes every day kind of fun. It was fun to be working with her for quite a while there. But you talked about the difference in game. The first thing that jumps out to me, though, that I do appreciate in the women's game, in the WNBA especially, you don't have, for the most part, those games where it's like, ah, that was a scheduled loss or, oh, they just didn't have it tonight. Like, you know players are always going to dive on the floor. There's always going to be the hustle plays. Kind of going back to the fundamentals. It may not have the highs of highs, talking about the electricity of a moment, a dunk, a incredible one-on-one play, but you know you're going to have a consistent, hard-put effort from your team, I think, almost every night. Right, 100%. Um, definitely hard fought. Definitely a team trying to accomplish the same goal. I agree. The electricity is there, um, but it might not come in a way that you might get used to watching an NBA game, but it is there. Like the, the amount of passion that these players play with yeah. um, is right there with the best, a second to none. And you, you, if you go to a game, you really enjoy that, especially if you're a true basketball fan. If you're a true basketball fan, the women's game is somewhere you want to go to watch, to learn, and to enjoy it. It's a growing game, for sure. I think people, as much more exposure as comes with the game, the more people are going to get involved, the more people love it. I mean, it was something that caught my eye prior to uh, getting involved with the Fever, just how the game's played and just learning from these coaches as well It's and applying it to the men's game. I mean, I've been on call, on phone calls with coaches on the women's side and apply some stuff to the NBA game and the G League side. So it's in a beautiful game. It's just a different at moments, I think. Right. Right, exactly. If you're going there, obviously for the dunks or whatever, no, don't. We got a couple people that can dunk. Yeah. Might sneak a couple in right. this year for sure. So you go to the right game, you might get a couple. But um, it's a beautiful game, and I really do enjoy coaching in this league. One of the challenges, though, that you and your staff have to deal with, though, are limited rosters. Like you guys had a monster draft, four first round picks, plus I think like seven throughout the draft and yet you're having to cut second round picks third round picks whereas NBA usually get more of an opportunity that's one of the big challenges and it's funny you talk about the it's a young league yet at the same time it's I'm like man it's been here 25 years that's that time flew by but I think that's one of the big changes or growth areas now is either bigger teams or, or more teams because there's so much talent out there that there's not enough roster spots yeah I, I agree it's a lot of good talent getting cut um out of training camps, um, we have a whole board and seeing who's who who got let go today. It, it's it's shocking some of the town that has to get let go because there's only 12 spots on the roster. But um, in my opinion, only been in this league for for a couple years now, not yeah. even. But it, it it is due for expansion um, at some point. I mean, it's it's a lot of really good talent that deserve to play at the highest level, um, and and it does make it tough. I mean, you know, you're cutting your your training camp roster from 15 to 12 and you know, three of those cuts are difficult cuts because the, the amount of talent, either it's a veteran or it's a really good rookie that's trying to make the team, those cuts are tough. But uh, usually, you know, if you stick around and you keep playing, there's so many success stories. I mean, like there is also on the men's side of people just sticking with it and grinding it out and going overseas and yep. making, you know, second level overseas and come back, give it a shot on the roster on a training camp roster, get cut again, go back overseas, and, and you know, end up finally making it because they gained that experience. It is tough to go from, from 15 to 12, and, you know, 12 are, you know, 
some of those cuts are veteran players that could really make an impact on the team. So, you know, Coach Dunn's did, done a great job developing this roster. Like you said, four draft picks in the first round never been done. No. And we, we really delve deep into the type of players and the type of character um, we want to help turn this thing around. I mean, we've, we've struggled for so long, and I think this group that we bought, brought in is going to be the group that helped get the team back to where they were in 2012. I think the perfect example of what we were just talking about, a player being outside rather than inside just purely because of roster slots, not because of talent, as Crystal Dangerfield was cut. You guys immediately picked her up, but then a couple of your players came back from overseas, which, by the way, is a whole other challenge with with the W the first month where you may not even you know have three or four of your key players in training camp, which is some of the most important parts of the season, especially for a new team like this. But, yeah, you, you get players back. You have a 12-man roster. Well, NBA has 13 active for perspective there. So uh, a 15-full roster. You guys have 12. That's what you're working with. And it's a tight and condensed schedule, too, where we were talking earlier, basically playing every other day now. Yeah, every other day. We're playing Sunday Tuesday, Friday, uh, one off day on Thursday. So brought up a good point about, you know, cutting the roster down and having players still overseas. I think the WNBA is really doing a good job of finally setting their footprint of when the season is going to start and when it's going to come back. We had to have training camp in April, and now we're kind of having training camp again in May when we come back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Several players back to the roster. So we're recycling a few practices to trying to get the schemes and and things down with our new players since, you know, we're not really doing the same thing as we were last year. But you got to, you know, really be sharp and really use your time well, really planning out when you're going to put things in, when you're going to implement certain things and when you might need to review for others. But you also picked up two new players who haven't practiced yet. So right. we've had I would say we'll have three training camps this year um, once we get our final final roster set. But, uh, yeah, I mean, somebody like Crystal Dangerfield, she was a she was a rookie of the year um, winner uh, two, say, years two years ago. ago. <laughs> two years and, ago. That's it. Yeah. And she's an explosive young player who, who can score at a high level and deserves to be on the roster. But, you know, it's tough. Can't keep everybody as much as you would want to. You, you just can't do it. And especially when you're only limited to 12 as opposed to the 15 um, that you mentioned in the NBA. You touched on the draft, and, and this was such an important one for the franchise, trying to kind of restart and move ahead here. And the Fever produced a really good, insightful, I thought, documentary, probably 10 minutes on things going into that and then the draft room and, and all those things. And you were in there along with all the other coaches. What was that experience like for you, both the, the lead-up, gathering intel, maybe calling coaches around the college game, and then that night with – it seemed like Lynn easily had it under control, especially knowing you're basically picking every other pick for the first, what, six, seven, eight picks. But still, that was a unique situation that no other franchise has ever experienced before. Yeah, talk about control in the draft, right? We had, we had every other pick there, but uh, <laughs> Coach Dunn's did an incredible job being overprepared. We had every scenario. We called every coach. We called, you know, we watched all the film. Um, as a coaching staff, and we sat around and we discussed it. We talked about it, and everybody had their responsibilities. And draft night was a breeze because we knew what we wanted to do and how we were going to approach it. And if so and so did this, then we would do this. Like we we had nice. a plan, we followed our plan, and we executed. And um, we got the people that we really wanted, and people that we know that's going to really help us turn this thing around and get us headed on the right path. You could probably do a whole podcast just about draft prep but generally speaking i'm curious 
let's take a random player here. You're probably looking back at a full game. You're probably looking at specific cuts, then maybe calling a coach or two on her staff. What type of things go into one player uh, and, and, you know, grading them leading up to the draft? You know, you got to be able to evaluate talent. I mean, there's only so many ways you can get better um, in this league. It's either through the draft, through free agency, or making a trade. So we knew if we had an opportunity here to really, really dig down deep in that process. You watch film. We went to games. We flew out to games and saw people in person. We talked to coaches. But you got to be able to pinpoint what you need and who can best fit that role. I won't give you our full process, but there is a process. <laughs> Why not? Come on. To, to, uh, <laughs> to, to marking who can make a roster. First, sure. like, it's like, again, it's only 12 players. Who can make a roster? Who do you want to you know, use a draft pick on? Make sure you can get somebody that can stick on your roster. last thing you want to do is, is draft somebody and you end up having to cut them. I want to say it's a wasted pick, but you really want to you know, make sure you get quality talent winners. One of the critiques I, I had is we wanted winners. Yeah. And, you know, out of the four picks that we had in the first round, each one of them have won a national championship. Lexi Hall in Stanford, um, Emily Inksler, who went really deep. She didn't win one, but she went really deep just this last year and was a pivotal and, and, and valuable piece on that Final Four team. And then Nalissa Smith and Queen Ebbo um, went and won um, with Baylor nah, probably three years ago now. But we wanted winners and we wanted people who hated to lose and those were some of the critiques that we asked certain coaches is how hard do they work? Do they, are they competitors? Do they want to win? You know, how bad do they want to win? And, you know, are they doing everything they can in your organization to, to, to reach those goals that you guys set as a team? So, um, you know, we got on the phone, hopped on the phone and called a lot of people and, you know, called multiple people. Don't just call one person, right. <laughs> call one person and give you an opinion, you call somebody else and it's different. You might have to call a third. So we really dug deep into, you know, people who are around the players. Not, you know, they don't also have to be coaches, but um, school personnel, people that are around the team, friends, family, just kind of really digging into them as a, as a person off the floor as well and what type of character they'll bring because that kind of speaks to how they'll be as a pro. But um, it, it's, it's definitely a, a process and it's a thorough process because you want to get it right, and I think we did a good job of getting it right. Yeah, I think some of those phone calls would be really informative, insightful, uh, because they're coming from a variety of sources. You're going to get something from the head coach, but also I would love to call maybe their rival in the conference. What was yeah. your thoughts on them? What was the scouting report on her? What was her tendencies? Those right. type of things. But you're right. In the grand scheme of things, the kind of two questions that I, I would like to know, and, and you probably dug into it, right, is what were they like after losses, and are they just a basketball player, or are they like a hooper? Are they like watching the NBA final right now and going to the gym at 8 p.m. just because they got kind of the, the bug to go shoot around. Like, that's right. a different kind of person. Right, right. Do they love the game? You know, you want people to love the game. This On the women's side, you're, you're hooping for 11 months if you go overseas. So have you to. Really you have, have to to make a career. career. Yeah. Yeah, to make a career. So you got to have somebody that really loves the game, really wants to develop their game, um, being such a young player. You got to have somebody that wants to lock in, be good on the details, watching NBA games, watching their their games, sitting down with coaches, pulling coaches into the gym. Do they exhibit those type of that type of behavior um, on a day to day basis, or are you dragging them into the gym? Are you chasing them down to get to class? Are you chasing them down to get to study hall or whatever the case may be? You really want to find that out because you know it, it carries into their work. Now you're not a student anymore; you're a professional and. How you, how you go about things speaks to how you go about everything. So 
Um, a lot of those coaches are good, and you brought up talk to rival teams' coaches, but I'll give a little secret. The person you really want to talk to is, is the team's equipment manager or student manager. Mm-hmm. Because I, I there's totally ones get that, that yeah. you know aren't high up on the totem pole. Players may not be <laughs> on their best behavior when it's just the student manager or, or equipment manager around. So they really have some really good stories that kind of can help you dig into what type of player is it, what type of character a player has. <laughs> oh yeah, I finished the season with the fever as the equipment manager. I get that totally because <laughs> that person is around probably more than anyone. They're the right. one setting up. They're the one cleaning up. So you can tell them about the locker cleanliness or how they right. treat their car or how they treat others. You're absolutely right with that. I do want to wrap up. I want to talk a little bit more just about you. What do you see as next just on your stepping stone? Ultimately, head coaching aspirations, I would assume, would would be the goal. And right now, just trying to kind of forge your path, forge that playbook and gain further understanding right now currently in the W. Right. Um, I want to be a coach. I want to be a coach at a high level. As far as aspirations, you're right. I mean, I think every coach that gets into the game imagines themselves running an organization or running a program yeah. and being the leader of, of the team. So down the line for sure. But, you know, it's just learning from great people like Coach Dunn and Coach Stanley on the women's side and continue to, you know, harbor and cultivate the relationships I've made um, on the men's side. But I don't know which way it'll go. Like I said, I didn't I didn't really know after I left Northern Arizona that year that I would be with the fever, you know, but it's just definitely excited about whatever the next step and next chapter will be for sure. And you got some exciting things too, right before the season got married to your longtime girlfriend. So that's awesome with Heather and everything. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thanks for that. We went from, we didn't get a honeymoon. We had draft day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she appreciated that one. Great. She's been with me through this journey the entire time as far as being a coach. Yeah. It was great. And it was awesome that we could finally, you know, marry your best friend. So that's been a blessing for sure. But, um, you know, a lot of exciting stuff happening for me and hopefully it'll continue here moving into this year and Hopefully we can shake up the WNBA a little bit and mm-hmm. put the fever back on the map. I love it. And I, since it is a Pacers podcast, I should note how it's really cool where oftentimes fever staff, other coaches are coming by Pacers practices during their season and watching, right. evaluating. I don't know if getting into meetings, but you can make up and, and learn so much from that. And Jenny Busick's been a huge asset kind of between both leagues as she appreciates both games. And I know she went to Las Vegas, actually, with her friend Becky Hammond and, and also pa- former Pacers assistant Tyler Marsh and was with them for a week in training camp, which I think is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Side note, Tyler Marsh actually coached with me at the Fort Wayne Madness my first year. Now he he made the jump over to the W2, and Jenny's been great. Um, She's been coming to a lot of games. Also, Coach uh, Lloyd Pierce has been to a game or two. Um, and they, their support is huge. It's always great to look up in the crowd and see that you got Pacers personnel with their fever gear on clapping and, and you know rooting for the home team. I love it, Jared. Appreciate it. We go all the way back, but I was like, we got to have this conversation. We haven't had a public podcast talking about you know, your pathway to success. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to sit down and do this, and best of luck the rest of the way. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. I've always been a huge fan of yours and an avid listener, and uh, you do such a great job, and I know you have great things coming forward soon here in your near future. So good job, and I appreciate you having me on.